Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Turning a Moment into a Movement. My name is Jay Love, and the uh, moment this movement was birthed was the day my son, Gerard, was wrongfully incarcerated for a crime he didn't do. He was innocent, is innocent, and went to prison. He's back home now, and um, that birth turning this moment into a movement. Well, we come every Friday at 6 p.m. to discuss um, common reasons and causes for wrongfully, um, for wrongful convictions and other issues within the justice system. So thank you for joining us. Before I get started, I just wanted to say, please share, share, share. Um, uh, it takes all of us working together to um, help each other, and that's why we're here. Also, uh, running across the line, the ticker, www.change.org slash justice for Gerard is where you can go to hear more about the story and sign the petition and share that as well with others. So again, thank you for joining us. Um, we're so happy you're here, Pam. <laughs> you're here every Friday. We love that you are here. Thank you for joining us. And now uh, we're going to introduce our wonderful Panto that's here with us today. Hi. <laughs> How are you, Trishay? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I cannot complain. How about yours? So um, introduce yourself. Tell everyone what it is that you do. And also, um, let us know what you got going on, because you always got stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jay, again, for just allowing me to be here and share this platform and this space with you and all the amazing um, panelists. Um, just so grateful, um, again, because it's going to take continuing these conversations and sounding the alarm and you know, and so we again thank you for your sacrifice and everything that we have watched you do ever since I met you. And I just I'm so grateful and I want to express that to you tonight. I am so grateful for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm grateful for Michigan Liberations because uh, that's how we met. Yes. <laughs> Nick was like, I got somebody I want you to meet. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I'm so definitely grateful for Michigan Liberation. Man, Man, Michigan Liberation, that show yesterday. Oh, my. Oh, yes. Yeah. All right. So we're going to get into it because yeah. they're going to be dropping in today. Oh, good, good, <laughs> good, good, good. good. Right. Um, so, all right, you know, a um, couple things we got going on. Um, May the 26th, I believe that is on a Wednesday at, I believe, 6 p.m., uh, we are taking it to the streets, right? Uh, we're coming together to um, honor George Floyd's death. Um, I believe he died on the 25th. 
Mm-hmm. And we took to the streets protesting on May the 26th and continued through the summer. Um, and we're coming together just as a reminder, you know, why do we keep coming together? Because we've got to understand unity. And it's not more about the march, but it's more about the marching orders, right? Nice. What are we going to do after the march? Where do we need to go? And we talk about all of these things. So we want you to meet us on May the 26th. We'll be back in Glencoe Crossing because I think that spot really served us well. Yeah, and uh, we'll be back there. And I believe that's 4500 Washtenaw. Um, it's right there in the front parking lot of that Ichiban. And that mm-hmm. is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So please meet us there at 6 o'clock um, on Wednesday, May the 26th. Other than that, we are raising money, for the Ipsy BLM Street mural. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited about that because like within a few days, we have raised $5,000 and got some more people on board. And it's not just about a cosmetic statement, right? Even though, yeah, that's going to look nice. Um, we wanted to start conversations. We wanted to build legislative power. We wanted to be a site where people can come and begin to have those tough conversations that we need to have to gain equity as a people and to gain equity within this unjust system that we are currently sitting in, which is why we sit here to talk about it today. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. I got to connect you with Gerard. He's an artist as well. So tell Gerard, Gerard, Gerard got to come and just be on the artist team. That would be amazing. Yes. All right. Let's see who else is here. Hey, Baraka. Hello, hello, how everybody doing? Hi, how are you? Introduce yourself. Okay, is my volume uh, proper? Okay. You sound good, yeah. Great, great. Uh, my name is Edward Sanders, and I go by the name of Baraka. Um, I'm, I'm a formal um, juvenile lifer without parole. I've spent 43 years in Michigan uh, prison from 1975 to 2017. I'm a recent graduate from the University of Michigan School of Social Work. Um, which I completed within the first, what, three, three and a half years, more or less, um, after um, coming home from prison. So I'm now a master um, of of, of social work. Um, I'm also a former jailhouse attorney. Um, I'm I'm contemplating on getting in law school, (laughs) believe it or not. I'm contemplating. I didn't open up an LSEC account. I'm making preparations for that. And um, I'm involved um, constantly uh, with, with this with this movement and taking and um, uh, 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 abolishing um, this um, system as we now know it. And yes, we are serious when we say that we want to take and abolish the uh, police, that we want to take and um, uh, abolish the um, so-called uh, criminal justice system. Um, that we want to take and abolish the um, prison system. We are serious about this. Who takes an ads? Are you? Re- do you really want to abolish slavery? Who took? Who would take an ads that other than those who? Um, who was it? Sir Jonas Cooper um, that said that uh, she would have taken three more people, but for the fact they didn't know they were slaves. And we're saying the same thing to to each other. Yeah. That but for the fact that we we don't realize. Um, um, what we are um, um, faced with, um, we ask those type of questions. But yes, we are serious about abolishing. This is about abolition, not really about reform. Um, everything that you can take and imagine that need reform, believe me, 
it started off with a reform. You would take and find that it had an adicinate, its, its, its history, its roots, its, its genesis in some form of reform. And so we want to get out of that cycle for every 10 or 15 or 20 years where we are reforming a reform. We want to abolish it. We want to establish something different. This is what you are able to do in a democracy. This is a democracy. We are not being dictated to by some Eurocentric uh, uh, position. Um, we want to take and have a voice now. We are no longer, what is it, one third of a human being or, mm -hmm. or whatever it was supposed to be. In. Um, if you, uh, 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 you know, spoiler alert, we are full human and we want our full voice. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Let's see who else is here. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm great. How are you, Attorney Hugo Matt? Better now. I, I, I see you, sis. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Always. Tell everybody who, who you are and what it is that you do. Well, my name is uh, Hugo Mack, um, criminal defense attorney primarily, uh, had prosecutorial uh, aspirations, uh, proud of that fact. And the reason I'm here, the reason I'm in this dynamic, over my career, I have seen thousands and thousands and thousands of times the inequity in the system. And I'm so fortunate that we have come to a point now of starting to acknowledge the inequities. I tell you, one of the reasons I stay in this fight is because I don't mind a hard fight in a courtroom. I don't mind dealing with a prosecutor that throws hard blows. I don't like a prosecutor that throws foul blows, okay? There's a big difference. And so for me, when I see the built-in inequity, when I've seen hundreds of police officers come in and I knew they had shaded those police reports, you know, at, and, and I'm not telling any of you anything you don't know. When you do something for so long, if you have a godly spirit about yourself, you can feel things. Some people say it's a sixth sense. I don't know what you want to call it. To me, it's a spirit. And I, I feel things where I knew the police were covering for each other, when I knew those police reports had been rewritten, when it was too rehearsed, it was too polished. And see, the, the problem about telling a lie is you always got to remember the lie that you told to stay consistent. So for me, dealing with the sheriff's department, uh, the Michigan State Police and our police department, uh, you know, all these police departments, it got to a point in my career where I saw a pattern a consistent pattern with particular officers, I might add, all right, where it would be the same, it was almost like a script. It was almost like it was a template and what they did is type in somebody's name. You understand what I'm saying? It's the same situation. So for me, it was so discouraging back in the, in the early 80s and, and into the 90s because it was so hard to get anybody to acknowledge that, you know? And then we had more and more pronounced cases of black people being killed, like Malice Green, for example, you know, and these sorts of things that started bringing some light to that situation. So for now, when I go into court, I'm so encouraged 
because, excuse me, because now it is starting to shed more light that police have got to be held to the same standard of credibility as anybody else. As a matter of fact, they need to be held to a higher standard. It's really not just the same standard, it's the higher standard. See, so where, where you and I may be offended and want to slap somebody for calling us a MF or a swear word or whatever in our humanity, a police officer is not supposed to do that, all right? So this thing about, well, I was provoked or they were cussing me out, that goes with the job, okay? That goes with the job. And what, what I'm so encouraged by is that there are more and more cases, although it's costing black people lives, it's more and more cases where we're seeing there's that hair trigger mentality, either that hair trigger mentality to shoot first under the guy's excuse of, well, I was fearful for my life. It's almost as if in a police academy, they, they, they almost train people to say that. In any situation where you discharge a weapon or hurt somebody, oh, well, I was fearful for my life. And the problem is we still have a large segment of society who's willing to go along with that as long as those attack dogs are being sicked on those mud people or, 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 or them people with that funny accent, you know, or them people snuck across the border, what have you. But slowly but surely, I'm encouraged because the conversation is going on continually. So I'm here and I want to thank you, Jay Love, for your compassion, for your heart. I'm one of your greatest fans. You don't know it. I follow you all the time, all the time, you know. So, and and boy, you got a fan of Mr. Sam Riddle. I'm gonna say that. So, so, so. Well, it's a great thing. So I'm I'm proud to be here and uh, sharing this moment with everybody. Yes, and we're happy to have you. Next, hello. Reverend well, hello. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm so excited to be here today and uh, just excited to be a part of the platform and to see everybody and to hear everybody. I mean, just the intros enough get me so round up and just, just I'm telling you, ready to go. Um, I am a minister at Transforming Love Community, I'm also working on my doctorate in psychology, but I am on the forefront with uh, Flint reparations with Bishop, the Commissioner Bishop uh, Jefferson, and I am in the community definitely with, uh, with Jay Love and everyone here. Uh-oh, who's feedback today? Okay. So anyway, I wanted to um I wanted to say that I like, really like the fact that uh we are not here just to reform. I heard that so clearly. We must dismantle, we must not duplicate what oppressors have put before us. And I said before um last week that uh we can no longer take on and we need to, to begin to shine the light on those who have taken the perspective of those who oppress others. We can no longer tolerate that in our community. So I'm here as a community 
advocate. My goal always is to educate, motivate, and empower others to access the kingdom from within them, that we have power within us to overcome. We are overcomers. We have a history of overcoming. And I think now is the time for us to rise to a new position of who we really are as we become more knowledgeable of who we are as we become more knowledgeable of what we have inside of us and the collective consciousness that we need to bring about change. So I am so grateful to be a part of this platform. I tell you, I'm excited and I love, love, love each and every one of you. We love you too. And hey, we are all just the seekers. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Revitia. So today we want to talk about bail reform or no cash bail. Um, We also want to talk about the Black uh, Mother bailout that's happening to uh, Mother's Day um, in Wayne County, Oakland County, Washtenaw County, I think Jackson and Genesee County, um, the Michigan Black Mother bailout. And um, later on in the show, um, um, we're going to have guests from Michigan Liberation and also um, Victoria... uh, I have to say it correctly. Chief Assistant Prosecutor. Yeah. <laughs> Victoria Burton Harris is going to come on and join us as well. But let's get started, you guys. And I'm going to take this conversation to straight to Attorney Hugo Matt. Um, Attorney Hugo Matt, can you explain to us about the jail, I mean, about bail and what the intentions a bail and what it is now and why the bail, we need no cash bail. <laughs> I don't even want to say bail reform. I just want to say why do we need no cash bail? Well, the thing of it is, is this. The, the whole purpose of bail is primarily to ensure that a person shows up for trial. Now, under the state constitution, which would require constitutional amendments, there are certain crimes that bail is not obtainable. Uh, you know, first degree murder, for example, and there's got to be extenuating circumstances that would allow a judge to release a person. Okay. And for example, if they're like treason, you know, so part of this is built into the state constitution of 1963 in terms of a built-in bail system. But the the thing of it is, and, and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, the, the problem with bail is that poor people simply don't have the money and resources that a well-to-do person, well-off, would have. So you could really have two people accused of the exact same crime, the exact same circumstances, but one is able to post bail and, and maintain their liberty, and, and the other is not. So that is a built-in inequity in the system right there. However, however, I may be somewhat different than most people on this, on this, on this platform, because as I stated in my candidacy for Washington County Prosecutor, I don't think totally elimination of bail is the right thing. I think a modification of bail 
is the right thing. You see, because under the 15th Amendment, you cannot eliminate cash bail for poor people and not eliminate cash bail for rich people. In other words, you have to eliminate bail altogether. All right. Now, some people may say, well, well, th that's fine. What's wrong with that? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with that. With the multimillionaires that have stocks, bonds, boats, okay, houses, okay, these people have those assets. And I want to be able to control some of those assets. You see, the clients that I have, they can't just get on a plane and fly to Switzerland, okay, where, where there's no uh, extradition, all right? They can't do that. They can barely leave the state, <laughs> okay? So what I don't want is the rich person with those resources to say, well, I don't have to worry about any kind of bail at all. I'm out of here. Furthermore, I don't have to worry about any kind of bail at all. I'm going to use that money that I would have put to bail toward getting myself a dream team and circumvent justice because I can buy any expert the Michigan State Police can put up. I can buy any private investigator the Washtenaw County prosecutor can put up. I can buy any kind of minion that any police force in the state of Michigan can put up if I've got enough money. So for me, for me, we need a system where we analyze a person and say, wait a minute, what is their economic status? What is their background? Okay. If we can securely release a person, because you know, when, when you're in jail, that is a sentence, whether you know it or not. When you're being detained prior to being convicted of something, that is a sentence. That's why they give you credit for jail time if you are convicted, okay, because it is a sentence. That means you're away from your house. You're away from the people you love, you're away from your job, you're away from your family structure, you're away from your community, and you have not been convicted of anything yet, of anything. So for me, we need to take a really hard, close look because black, brown, indigenous people are definitely the ones filling up these jails as opposed to these, to the, uh, I hate to say it, I hate to say it, to, to the white, you know, uh, uh, executive type. And it's not that these communities where black and brown people come from, people are, are worse than anywhere else. It's not that. It's just that we lack the resources to adequately defend ourselves. Most cases the public defenders have, guess what? The people look like all of us. <laughs> the people look like all of us, okay? Because we simply do not and historically have not been given the opportunity to amass wealth. The GI Bill, for example, that was never intended to apply to black GIs, you know that when they had the Freedmen's Bureau after the Civil War, where they supposedly had land for black people, we were robbed of that, okay? Never got 40 acres and a mule. And I don't wanna to get too protracted here, but I'm saying when, when I run into some of my colleagues who say, well, wait a minute, bail will be applied fairly to everybody. No, it's not. If I don't have an inheritance of land like other people have in this country, I don't have a house to put up. You know, I'm, I, in some cases, I'm barely a renter. Okay, I don't have those resources that generationally have been passed down to me, so I don't have that kind of money. So my behind sits in jail, sits in jail. And I want to say this. I want to say this. One of the great advocates for bail reform is COVID-19, as terrible as that's been, because what's happened now, you have Washington County Jail. That jail holds about 438 people. All right. That it's, it's a skeleton group of people there now. You notice people are out. I have not seen a big spike in crime. I haven't. I haven't. 
because people are out. So that lets me know. So we do have a system where people can be out and maintaining their liberty without being in jail. And, and, and the community is not appreciably uh, harmed with that. So I think the biggest example for me to fight in terms of the bail system is, how is it that we're surviving with COVID-19? You mean to tell me we couldn't survive with, with uh, more people being out in the past? So um, I'm, I'm a little bit different from some people. I don't say eliminate it, but it needs to be changed to be more equitable for brown and black people and people who don't have money. Okay. I agree. Um, it needs to be more equitable. Uh, equitable. Um, Trisha, did you? <laughs> you know that's interesting. Um, but what I would, what I could see as um, an issue is that say, well, you said equality or equity, and you know, so um, everybody should have a shot at that. But really, to me, to be honest. I don't care. Like they can get out of jail. They can put up bail and they can pay for a lawyer. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think that part of it really matters. But I know one thing when it comes to this system, we can get out. Like you said, brother, we ain't got no property to put up. You know, we, we don't have family that can come together and put thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars together. So while I understand what you're saying in that back end of it, it's like, man, I still... And for it, because I know the benefit that it is for our people right now. You know what I'm saying? And to me, you know, that's the most important thing is that equity piece, you know, removing that barrier. And now, you know, and you got to be careful, you know, because some things can happen. I mean, it's a lot that can happen with this, but I see the good that could come. I see the good that's coming from it. Um, to me, just being more beneficial. And like you said, with COVID, there was no increase in crime. And I think that is so important, right, to, to stress that because there's this thing like, well, if you do that, oh, my goodness, it's going to be so much crime. It's going to be crime anyways. Let's say that. But it, there was no increase. There was no increase in crime that I know of. And I do believe that those numbers um, that I did get a chance to look at some numbers. So. Mm -hmm. Baraka. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this and I was thinking of a case. I think it's um, called People versus Moore. Um, before I got out of prison, when the state legislator was taken in debating um, law relevant to juvenile lifers, um, Shooty and others, Kim Worthy and others, um, they took and um, was trying to take and get the most um, conservative um, law possible um, relevant to this group of uh, people who are imprisoned that the United States Supreme Court took and said that they were innocent of the sentence he was imprisoned for. Um, they nevertheless, they wanted to take and um, create a sentence which would have been a virtual life. They wanted to do a somatic thing. They wanted to get go past the letters that say life and give basketball scores that would in fact be life and say, okay, uh, we want to wash our hands and if we'd have made a change. And that's what I'm talking about, these so-called reforms. It would have still been life in prison. In fact, there are people that are serving uh, a virtual life in prison. You know, they have numbers, you know, that suppress their life, their, their life expectancy. And at one time, um, 
Google Maps took and made reference to that when a person is in, in, in jail and if they are found not guilty, they're given time. Uh, I mean, if they found guilty, they're given time served. Well, that's only a recent history in Michigan. There was a time where if you got found guilty, it was a discretionary matter for the judge to take and decide whether or not to give you that time that you had already served. And sometimes the judge would say no. And oftentimes when they said no to the person that had already served time in the county jail or had already served time in prison and had got a reversal and came back and then after having served time and got found guilty for a lesser crime, they would still turn around and say no. Most often it was a black person that they said no to. Okay, most often there was a black person that they said no to. I was aware of this when I was there in prison and I contacted the ACLU and said, hey, they don't put a provision in this statute that would allow for so-called resentencing of juvenile lifers without parole that say that upon the resentence, the guys could benefit from good time that they have already earned while in prison. And I say that that's illegal. And I knew of the case as a, as a as a jailhouse attorney, I was aware of a case called People's Versus Moore. This gentleman, uh, Moore, <clears throat> had served, he was at a time, he was convicted at a time when you didn't even have a right in Michigan to an attorney if you couldn't afford it. If you couldn't afford it, then you represent yourself. And this is what this gentleman did. He represented himself in a first degree murder and he was found guilty. <clears throat> and he argued all the way to the United States Supreme Court that his sentence was illegal. I mean, not his sentence, but his conviction was illegal because he didn't have an attorney. So this conviction was unreliable. The US Supreme Court agreed with him and remanded his case back down um, for a new trial when they ordered the Michigan Supreme Court to order him a new trial. So when he gets back, he gets a new trial, he gets an attorney that's appointed by the state, okay? And then after he gets an attorney that's appointed by, uh, and this is before Gideon versus Wimright, he gets an attorney and they take and give him attorney and he's found guilty this time, not for first degree, but for second degree. So he's no longer served I'm facing an automatic sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. He's now facing a, a, a life or any number of years, but it's a, it will be a potential parolable life. When the court gave him exactly the number of years that he has served in prison. And he said, okay, I want my time that I already served. The sentencing judge said, no, I got discretion and I'm not going to give it to you. This man had already spent more than a decade in prison. More than a decade. So, you know, I'm not, you know, this type of behavior, no. And uh, um, a person that 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 is standing pre-trial, unless that person is a real threat to society, not because of the label or the crime that you would put on him or her, that person should be given their liberty. They are still considered to be a member of this community unless you have evidence that this person would continue to represent a threat to the public. That person shouldn't be detained, even though we may wish that this be reserved for 
individuals that was described that might have the means of taking and going beyond the jurisdiction, more likely it will be used against black people. Just like you've seen in the case of the 6500, those laws are supposed to be used for kingpins, drug kingpins. But those were the very people that were able to take and negotiate their, their liberty. When the laws were used, they were actually used against common drug addicts, people who was taking and trying to uh, uh, finance their drug use. And they really wasn't, they really wasn't kingpins. We found police is taking and uh, 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 setting up steam bus where they would say, could you get some more? This ain't enough. I know you can get some more. And you hear individuals for the first time in their life because they hear someone pressing them for more and more and more. For the first time in their life, they were able to take and run around the neighborhood and find somebody that would take and devil up on their drugs until where they had enough to call it 650. And then that's when the police bust them. But they didn't get a kingpin. They didn't get a kingpin. Who? There's one individual in this state that had the most successful, a single individual that had the most successful defense and the most expensive defense in this state. One of the most successful and expensive defenses in the nation. This man had more than he had more than two dozen crimes brought against him. More than two dozen crimes brought against him. And you know what? He actually admitted that he done it. He said, I've done it. He said, but other people's done this too. And nobody prosecuted them for it. That was his defense. The man then took his wealth and took and brought commercials to take him soften his image after he consulted with, with jury consultants. And they say, you need to take and soften your image. The prosecutors tried to pull his commercials off the television and saying that he's trying to he's trying to influence future jurors. The judge said we can't stop him as long as he don't make mention of the case. This man was acquitted. Do you know who that was? He was an attorney. And he's the single most successful, economically speaking, the single most successful attorney in the state of Michigan. He gets more money than any attorney in the state of Michigan for, for, for um, civil cases. And that's how he called his case. When the Supreme Court took and put a cap on his cases, saying how much he can get, he went after them. That's how he wound up taking and getting ready to get, go to prison. But he was successful in keeping himself out of prison because of his money. None of us would have ever been able to do that. So say hello to Jeffrey Figer. I was going to say, was that Jeffrey Figer? It was definitely <laughs> Jeffrey Figer. It was Jeff, definitely Jeffrey Figer. Why else do you think he argued with any other attorney when any other attorney move up the letter? It's Jeffrey Figer. Okay? Mm. And, nobody, and this is the same man that wanted to be the, 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 uh, 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 um, the governor of the state of Michigan. Okay? This is the same man that wanted to be the governor of the state. Okay? And he has he put up the most successful defense in the state of Michigan, and it cost the most money. This man had with the OJ Green Green Team had nothing compared to this man's team. This man took and brought out some of the most successful attorneys in the world out of retirement to sit on his defense team. 
He was in no way finna go to join. Revetia. You muted. <laughs> oh, been on mute myself. Okay. I yeah. am, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm listening and the one thing that continues to be at the forefront of these conversations to me is the perspective. How are people looking at things? And unfortunately, in United States, in Michigan, we have before us the love of money. And whether we reform the bail situation or not, African-Americans and people of, of color will continue to be criminalized based upon their economic situation. And this is, this is what is key. They're, they're people who are, who are economically at a disadvantage or the underserved are always the ones, which is ridiculous, are always the ones who are more criminalized, who are seen as being a danger to society. Although we have countless of, of examples of people with money who have done heinous crimes and continue to do so. But the image, the image and how, how the courts look at people. And so when, when we talk about reform, I'm more interested in not only how are we reforming, who is doing the reforming, who's a part of the, the team, who's a part of the, the reform team, who is going to go in and make sure um, that there's, an, uh, there's equity in the perspective, there's equity as people um, view other situations, who is going to make sure that implicit biases are not carried out um, in the courtroom, out of the courtroom. You know, there's so many aspects to when a person is first encountered with the police all the way through the court system, African-Americans and people of color are fighting systemic racism all the way through because of how we are already viewed. Yeah. So... This is the great uh, segue to bring in Michigan Liberation, um, Nicholas um, Buckingham. Hello, and Ray. Hi, <laughs> hi, everybody. Hey, welcome. welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here. We're talking about um, no cash bail or bail reform, and we're gonna, you know. So I want you guys to talk about that and the Black Mother Bailout because this is an important conversation to have, especially this weekend of Mother's Day. I've been talking about you guys all day. So I'll let you guys do the talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you want to keep it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can. I can. Um, so, okay. yeah, uh, cash bail. Um, it's the very important thing that, you know, all affects us, but that we don't talk openly about. It's just this thing that we have to deal with. Um, and Baraka is, is right. There is, cash bail essentially is wealth-based pretrial detention. 
If you have enough money to go home, you go home. If you don't have enough money, then you stay. Um, and studies have consistently shown that just a 24-hour stay in the county jail drastically increases uh, your conviction rate. Um, it's the stigma of not being able to afford to go home. Um, and so, you know, I'll pass it to Nick in, in just a moment to talk about uh, the Black Mamas bailout. But um, one of the reasons why we talk about this work, why we bail folks out of jail, why we uh, focus specifically on Black femme caregivers um, is because, you know, cash bail ultimately needs to be eliminated. Um, bail is not supposed to ever be set at an amount that you cannot afford to go home. All these folks that have $750,000 bonds, $50,000 bonds, um, things that cost a house, a very nice car, a college tuition, um, those should not be assigned as bond. And yet we find every day people get these exorbitant bail amounts um, that ensures that they stay in, that ensures that that bed is filled, that ensures that private vendors are going to get their money. Um, and it is at the cost of broken families uh, through DHHS. It's through the cost of lost jobs and lost homes. Um, and so we, uh, Michigan Liberation, um, at the direction of community and our base and our directly impacted folks, um, have started uh, the Black Mamas bailout. We're entering into our third year. Um, and I'm going to pass it to Nick to talk uh, more about it. It's his baby. He's the reason why we have it um, in this region of the state. Um, and then I can circle up and, and tell people how they can get involved this year. So Nick, take it away. Yeah, cool. Thanks for that, Ray. Um, hey, before I even get started, Bernie Madoff spent $10 million on his bail and he got out. All right. And just think about that for me. He didn't kill anybody. Um, there was nobody physically hurt. Right. Um, he was charged $10 million and he paid $10 million to get out. All right where we can look at a system right here in the city of Detroit, um, you know, right there on eight mile, the racial divide between Wayne County and uh, the Oakland community, uh, the Oakland County and Macomb. And there are people that are stuck inside of our jails right now that can't make a $100 bail, a $200 bail. We even found people last year that was stuck in a jail for as low as $1. Four quarters, right? Um, and it's not me over exaggerating. That's how the system is, you know. So we we think about this bail system and who it is actually for, right? We have folks that's like Bernie Madoff that can pay ten million dollars and get out, but then you have folks like myself, young, black, and poor. Um, if I get pulled over right now. I don't have a chance of getting out and I have to sit aside the county jail and fight for a case. You know, we, we created the Black Moms bailout um, back in 2018. And, you know, it was a twofold thing. One, it was to bring community together uh, so that we can discuss these issues that are plaguing uh, the black and brown communities, right? Um, but the other thing was, you know, so many of our folks was getting stuck up inside the jails. They was forced to call on the bail bonds people. The bail bonds people want the collateral. They want the house. 
they want the car. If you don't, you know, show up for your court date, um, they will send those bounty hunters after a person. And, you know, if you haven't seen a bail bonds raid, um, it is much worse than what you will see come from Detroit police. You know, these bail bonds, they're not technically police officers, right? Um, some of them would even carry, you know, beanbag guns or paintball guns, which gives them, you know, the authority to start shooting. And those things hurt, right, when when they're coming after people. Um, but, yeah, in 2018, we kicked it off. We raised, you know, roughly about $3,000. And there was one particular case that we wanted to go in and try to support. And it was the case of a young black mom who was living in a house um, and her baby ended up falling through the, uh, the through the floor because it was a hole in the floor. The baby fell down into the basement. Um, and this baby, yep, and this baby drowned um, in sewer water in the basement. And, you know, I don't know what that tragedy is like. I don't know what that experience is like. But I do know it was wrong to press charges on his mom, you know, because you know, she said it was wrong to press charges on his young mom um, because this is what poverty looks like. You know, this young mom was trying to do the things that she could and the best that she was offered was a house that was being run down, uh, something that was given to her, you know, because of the conditions that many of us live in Detroit. And, you know, ironically, we couldn't we couldn't help the mom. We couldn't bail her out. But it was that story that started the Michigan Liberation. Well, we wanted an organization that, one, invested into the leadership of formerly incarcerated people and directly impacted folks. But two, an organization that is solely focused on criminal legal issues in the state of Michigan um, and building people up from the ground to look at these issues. In 2019, we got better. We came back to the table. Um, and when we came back to the table, you know, we raised about $30,000 and we were able to bail out roughly about 15 black moms across the state of Michigan, Oakland, Wayne and Kalamazoo County. And it was during that time when we started to realize that one, yes, cash, the cash bail system is a huge impact on folks. Uh, but there's other things that happens inside these courtrooms that are going unspoken and we treat them as the norm and which they're not. They should not be the norm. Pre-child services is another way of incarcerating folks. That tether company is another way of incarcerating folks. Many of these judges that are elected um, to their positions of power, they are elected by the people, are causing more harm to people. And so it was 2019 where, you know, our Black Moms bailout efforts have gave birth to a lot of our campaigns around prosecutorial accountability. Uh, we started a campaign around judge to judges, right? We started um, we started court watch programs, partnered with University of Michigan Law School and National Lawyers Guild, and we was doing court watching in Wayne and Oakland County, and we were collecting data of what is happening inside these courtrooms. Why do we see so many Black folks in here? There was a, a, a research that happened in 2019 with the Vera Institute, and they looked into our county jails and they wanted to know, you know, what's going on with the people that's in here. And so they came back with some statistics. One, um, a lot of the folks that were sitting inside our county jail was there because they cannot afford to pay their bail. The other thing is you would think your county jail 
is loaded with violent offenders, right? With the murders and everything that we hear about. But the overall majority of the people that was incarcerated in there or stuck in these cages was there because of traffic violations. Now we know what insurance is like in, in Detroit. We know what the racial uh, barrier is for Wayne County. It's eight mile and it's telegraph. And the moment that us black people cross over these racial divides, we are instantly pulled over and incarcerated. And for the most part, when a person is incarcerated because of traffic violations, they lose their car, right? That car goes into the impound. So now here's another bucket of money. This person risks losing their job after three days of being locked up. They risk losing government benefits. They risk losing being dropped out of school. Um, you know, there was even cases that we heard of where uh, moms were locked up for a matter of, you know, five days. And because there's nobody to get the children, CPS now comes into the picture. And remember, a lot of these cases were very minor cases where people shouldn't even be inside the system. So, you know, in 2020, we came back and, you know, 2020 was a it was a live year. COVID-19 became a pandemic. Um, and when we seen that pandemic happen, it left people inside the county jails vulnerable uh, to being sick, vulnerable to contracting the virus. Right. And so with the support of, you know, our movement attorneys, the advancement project, the ACLU um, and many others, they put lawsuits on the Wayne County Jail and the Oakland County Jail. And, you know, ironically, we were able to see all of this stuff that we fought for over the last few years, if, whether it was reform or abolition, we seen our political players, right? The, per the people that had the power to make the change, make the change at the snap of a finger. They emptied out Wayne County Jail and only left about 700 folks in there. Oakland County, they won their lawsuit. The folks that was incarcerated in there started to get treated better. Um, people that had lower misdemeanors and low-level felonies were being released, right? They didn't have to pay a bond. But in Wayne County, I want to come back to this for a second. In Wayne County, we were running the folks that they left in there, the 700, 800 people. The narrative of the of the folks that was in there was that these were your violent criminals that came off the street. Um, they are a menace to your society and they should not have an opportunity to come back into the uh, community, even during a pandemic. Right. So then when we went in there and we started to say, hey, wait a minute, you said this person is stuck in there. They can't go anywhere. But their bond is one dollar. And so if their bond is one dollar, we have to now the community has to question how much is your safety? How much does your safety cost? If you're telling the community that I'm violent, I'm dangerous, I should not be around you, but then you only leave me in a jail for one dollar, right? It's all a profit play. They, the, the, the system is not about keeping the community safe, right? It's only about how many people can we lock up and we can make a profit off of them. So yeah, last year we raised a lot of money. We bailed out, I don't know, between 30 to 55 people, right? And that was, again, Wayne and Oakland County. And not only did we bail them out, the peaceful protest that popped off after George Floyd, right? We seen protests that was happening all across the state of Michigan, right? Right here in Detroit, the police decided that they were going to aggressively and violently arrest people that was just walking down the street with signs, blowing bubbles, and singing music. And they arrested these folks. 
that locked arms, never touched a police officer, never threw a rock or a glass bottle. And they took them down and we went right in there and we started to bail out everybody that was arrested during the protest. Right now, today, everybody's charges have been dropped, right? Everybody's charges have been dropped. But what the system have been able to do is acquire the money that it would take to bail somebody out. It was intentionally done, yeah. right? Bail wasn't never about protecting the community. It was a way to fund the police and the criminal justice system. All right. So fast forward. We're in 2021. What are we doing? We are still raising money. I think right now we're up to about 13,000. Our goal is to get up to 50,000. Um, we are we're starting to bail out our black moms out of the county jails right now. And I know that there's somebody watching that's asking a question. Why black moms? Why, why not all the moms? What's wrong with taking this one moment and single out black women? Right. And not just single out black women, but there's a, a narrative that goes with this. When you look at the state of Michigan, there's only one women's prison. And we say that the fastest growing population of prison is women. Why are we cramming them all into one facility? Right. And then not only are we cramming them into one facility, there's a whole pandemic that's still happening in claiming life right now. The other thing I'm going to say is that. When we incarcerate a black man, it disrupts the household. But when we incarcerate a black woman, it disrupts the community. And how does it disrupt the community? Because you are taking this black woman away from her family. You're taking her away from her children. And when you do that, you leave the community and responsibility to take care of that woman's responsibility of purposes. And a lot of times we had a, a, an event last night. There was a lot of stories uh, telling that was going on. It was very traumatic, but it was real. And the things that people really have to understand, if you want to get into this fight, you have to hear the people's story. Statistics only do so much, but it's those real life stories. Why did you go to prison? Because this man decided to put his hands on me this day and I shot him. I defended myself. We see a lot of our women that's in there because of domestic violence. We see a lot of our women in there um, that, that's in there because of the hands of the, the toxic masculinity that us men likes to put on women. And they suffered. So I want people to remember this. And I want everybody to just continue to say this. When we lock up a black man, this is proof. It's facts. It disrupts the household. But when we take our women away from the community, right? We're, we're saying, hey, community, you are now disrupted and you have to figure this out with your children that's coming up. And there were some women on our forum last night that said my mom was in prison because her mom was in prison. And now I'm afraid that my child will go to prison because the community is not doing the job anymore of standing up to take care of one another because the legal system and all these other systems in power is taking the resources away from us to be productive, to be active, to be successful. So please join us in this fight. The Michigan, it's called the Michigan Black Moms Bailout. And the reason it's the Michigan Black Moms Bailout and not the Michigan Liberation, or not the Knicks Bailout, is because we need every single county to wake up and be aware of what is happening, not only inside your county jails, inside your prisons, but this thing is big. It happens inside the schools, 
It happens inside the hospitals. It happens inside the mental wards. It happens right here out in the streets. Even our own police don't give a damn about the women that they come encounter with. We've seen police officers in Wayne County that was taking young women, young moms, black moms, took their car in the middle of winter while she had her children, made a Facebook post while he was making mockery of this mom. That's the disrespect that not only black men have to go through, but now our black women are going through. So yes, support the Michigan Black Moms bailout. We are on a mission to get our black moms home for Mother's Day to connect them with their family, but it don't just stop there. We're always bailing people out. We'll be bailing people out for uh, Juneteenth, for Black August. We'll be bail people out for Christmas and New Year's and whenever. We're not a bail bond uh, agency. So we're not going to chase somebody down and make them go to court. Instead, we're going to make sure to connect them with the resources that they need so that they won't have to go back into a life of harm and a life of criminalization. Yeah, if I could just come in after that. It's hard to follow um, and talk about like how Michigan liberation, like how we look at bail, because the physical act of bailing someone out, like that is a service to the community. Um, and it's one that like we happily provide, but like the goal is not to just bail out one person at a time. The goal is to completely eliminate cash bail. Um, we use the act of bailing out folks from jail. We use um, highlighting black femme uh, caregivers, black women, black queer and trans folks who are caregivers um, in this bailout because doing the physical bail serves as a tool to politically educate the community, to politically educate the formerly incarcerated person, their family, what is happening with the criminal legal system, asking those questions about why, investigating what safety and accountability is to this family, to the victim, to the community, um, and using all of that to ultimately push for a complete transformative change of the criminal legal system as we know it. Cash bail, the, the Black Mamas bailout, um, the service of bailing folks out is one of the tools we use to talk about abolition, to talk about rethinking and recreating actual safety, um, transformative communities with whole bodies. Um, and like Nick said, and like Jay so graciously did, please click the link, donate, we have a, a car caravan and rally that's happening this Saturday um, at 3 p.m. at uh, Nagel Park. That's at 3100 Wabash Street in Detroit, where we're talking about not just ending cash bail, but also uh, phone justice. So what happens when you are incarcerated and you have to choose, am I going to call and let somebody know that I've been locked up or am I going to call and try to find a lawyer? and having to make that hard choice. You can also follow us on social media at Michigan Liberation. Um, and we're always you know, glad and happy and honored when Jay Love invites us to share more about our work. Oh my God, you guys are so awesome. <laughs> Could I add this to the conversation if I may? Okay. If, if you haven't been convinced that you should support this, listen to this. The largest number of recidivism in the county jail are people who are mentally ill. That's the largest number. And among them are formal veterans, not formal veterans, they're veterans, <laughs> veterans. And the reason is, is because their medication is disrupted when they're in the county jail. There is a federal legislation that tells the state 
that when these individuals that receive federal aid for medication, when they're in the county jail, the federal government say, cut them off. We will not reimburse you. This is their way of taking and being punitive towards people who are mentally ill that are detained in a county jail. So they tell the state government, if you take and provide them with any services for their mental health, we won't reimburse you. Okay? So they cut off their Medicaid card while they, the moment that they step into the county jail, the very moment, imagine a person, a man or woman, black or white, imagine this person that fought for his or her nation. And at the time of their crisis, they're having a mental crisis and they're put in the county jail and somebody say, because you're having this breakdown, we're going to take your medication from you. And so when those individuals are released back into society, their medication is unavailable at the moment that they get back out. They have to go through all of this red tape to take and get back on their medication. And within the meantime, they wind back up in the county jail. You got sheriffs for taking a petition, the federal government to say, stop this stupidness. Because they cannot act as a pharmacy and take and say, here, we got some medication. When the guy get ready to leave the county jail, we're going to give it to him. They can't do that. They're not a licensed pharmacy. They can't take and suspense medication. That's a job for a doctor. And the doctor don't have the authority because he, ain't got, he or she ain't got the money. So if you ain't convinced of the harm that goes on in putting people in county jails that shouldn't be there in the first place, if you don't, if you ain't convinced of the harm, remember what you're doing to the men and women that are serving this nation at that time of need. You want them at the border. You want them in foreign lands. You want them in the air. You want them on the land, and you want them on the sea. But don't want them in the county damn jail. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Edward. I want to say um, to Nick and, and Ray, thank you for joining us. I know you guys have a lot going on um, between today and Mother's Day. So I appreciate you guys. I love you. I see you on Sunday. And uh, thank you so much. <laughs> So yeah, it's, um, always, it's always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, just, you know, keep these conversations going because folks are hungry and they got to hear this stuff. And I, I just want to make one more comment uh, with yeah, what Barack was saying about these county jails. Um, ironically, right? Everybody in the county jail is treated the same way, like trash. It don't matter if, if you just slaughtered a whole community of people or if you walk down the sidewalk and just started spitting and sagging and they took you into jail, right? Everybody is treated like trash. Um, and you have to think about the trauma that happens inside the county jail, right? Somebody that is subjected, the moment you walk through those doors, you're treated worse than what anybody can treat a human, right? And you have to ask yourself, is this right? Should I be if I if I'm driving down the street? Sometimes hey, you might not know if your insurance uh, lapsed today, right? And my my money automatically come out my account. Hey, if my account happened to fail. They don't get my insurance. I don't know. Ain't nobody gonna send me a message, right? But the police take take me to jail, and I will be treated 
as if I was caught red-handed doing something very, very, very bad and illegal, right? The Macomb County Jail by far has the most deaths as far as women. There, in the last two or three years, there's been a number of women, I want to say between three to five women that has died inside the county jail in Macomb County Jail. Two women have gave birth right there on the county jail floor. Right. And I know this is it's traumatic. It's brief, you know, after this. Right. But these are the stories that the media is not telling us. Right. People's families are faced with the stigma from saying anything and they don't never get out. They don't want us talking about these things. Right. There was one woman inside the Macomb County Jail that went there for child support. Uh, Macomb, everybody knows a debtor's prison. Right. She owed child support for a child that was living with her. Within three days of her incarceration, she died. So now this child who was living with her, who was on child support to receive money from her mom, no longer has her mom. Why? Because she wasn't given the proper medication, as Barack was just saying, inside that county jail. Right? These things happen from the county. We have women that are handcuffed. I can't give birth. And I can't tell you what it feels like. I've watched it, but I can't tell you what it feels like. But one thing I can say, to be handcuffed to a bed while giving birth has to be some of the most demonic things in the world. Whoever thinks of this, whoever has a job that goes into a prison system, goes into a hospital with a pregnant mother and decides to pull out his handcuffs and slap it on their wrists and handcuff them to a bed is a demonic person. So I'm talking to those correction officers. I'm talking to those police officers directly. That's a direct reply to them. You are demonic. To even think that a woman that is pregnant and labor has the audacity to get up on her feet and run out the hospital and escape prison. How dare you? How dare you? There's so many stories that people are not sharing that are happening inside of these county jails in these prisons. When I came home from prison, yes, I'm formerly incarcerated, folks didn't know. When I came home from prison, I violated my parole and I had to go back in. And I went into the uh, Oakland County Jail and I was only there for about 24 hours and I was threatening the guards to send me back to MDLC because the way that they have people living inside these county jails is barbaric. It is horrible. It is nasty and it is disgusting. There is not one county jail in Michigan that is not disgusting. They all are very, very harmful, traumatic, and they are disgusting. You go inside Wayne County Jail. Why, why does Division 2 look the way it looks? Why do they want to build a brand new jail? Because the inside of that jail is horrible, is nasty, and is disgusting. We was hearing people calling us to get bailed out. And they were telling us that water with feces in it was flowing over the tears and that the officers were making the incarcerated population clean it up. Now, in prison, you have to have a bloodborne pathogen certificate, which takes many, many, many hours and days to acquire before you can even clean up throw up, feces or urine. And so these people in the county jail had to clean up these feces and this water, right, just so that they can be in good standing 
and good standards with the folks inside the county jail. If you know somebody that has been in jail or been in prison, send them to Michigan Liberation because we invest into their power to speak up, but not just speak up, but to make change, right? To make change happen. But also just it, no matter what a person went in for, if they came home, that means they was given a second opportunity. And you have to talk to them about the trauma that they have endured in prison. The reason our, our recidivism rate continues to, to linger around 48 to 50%, and we're seeing so many folks come home and commit more crimes, is because the resources inside prison has been stripped away, and you're treating folks like animals. And so when they come home, they don't know how to deal with conflict. They don't know how to conversate. They don't know how to deal with authority. And so what do they do? What they're used to doing, what they did in prison, which is snap, blow up, and hopefully I can be taken away to solitary confinement. But in these streets, it's a whole different game. So please don't treat the formerly incarcerated population or that other term, returning citizen. I don't like that word. But don't treat us as a second-class citizen. Don't treat us as if we're not people. Give us an opportunity, listen to our story, and invest into us. Like I say, those closest to the problem are closest to the solution, but yes. furthest from resources and power. Those who are closest to the problem are closest to the solution, but furthest from resources and power. With that, I love y'all, and I will see y'all later. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, I love Nick. Um, since Gerard's been home, he's been, you know, their Michigan Liberation has been involved with helping him as well. So um, they're a wonderful group. Um, they're doing a lot of work in the community and we have to support them. They're young and they're about their business. <laughs> I appreciate them. So um, Tia, uh, Reverend Tia. <laughs> Uh-oh, something happened to Rabbit here. Okay, Trisha, go ahead. <laughs> you look like you got something to say, because that was a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm just digesting all of it, really. It's, it's, it, it was a lot. It really, really was a lot. Yeah, and the, and the, um, the event they had last night where these women who were incarcerated told their stories um, not only what happened to them inside of um, jail and prison, but what happened to them once they came home. So um, I appreciate, you know, them and this fight that they're doing. <laughs> Excuse me. Revitia? Bless you. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I was supposed to mute myself as I told them I'd give me five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say, you know what, this was so moving. I was there yesterday during the, the conference and um, uh, it did bring me to tears. It brought back so many memories. And um, I remembered um, when we started our, the reentry program is what we called it, Michigan Reentry. And we had a contract with Michigan Reentry. And the unfortunate thing was that when I would go to the prisons, to now they the prisons would get monies to prepare um citizens to come back into the community and unfortunately when i would go to pick them up 
No one had worked with them. No one told them anything. They didn't have any of the paperwork ready. They didn't have, because they would, they would contact me months out. They, they didn't start, um, especially because I worked with um, people who had dual diagnosis. And so they hadn't even started their SSI paperwork. Nothing was started. And, um, and many times, um, I, one, one case where there was an older woman who was, who had to ended up going back and, and really she shouldn't have been incarcerated. Um, and it was because she was out of her medication or what have you, didn't take it and needed medication. And this is where we, we need to tell the, the prison and the judicial, uh, they cannot do medicine. They cannot um, really take care of people who have severe mental illness. And so when I, I picked her up, they said she was stable. And in Oakland County, they just send you out. And I had to wait for her to just come out and walk to the car by herself. She was 70 something years old. And she still had not reached her baseline. She still was having psychotic behaviors because they did not regulate properly her medication. So this is this is a this conversation has to continue and and we do need to get behind everyone who who supports uh, the bailout everything we need to we need to really go strong because now is the time and we are at a heightened awareness and we need to continue to expand on the awareness and know that all things are still working together for our good mm-hmm. know that things are being seen for us to be a part of the change. And we are that. And I'm so, so blessed to be with you guys on this journey. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Tony Hugo, Matt. Uh Uh-oh, you're muted. Hold on. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Once again, technology follies with Hugo Mack. You see? <laughs> so, so, you know, I just want to say that this is a war. It's not just a battle. Okay. And, you know, one thing that I learned from, from Dr. King, there is no one key to victory in this. Okay. You know, there's no one key. And so when I look at all of you, you know, people that I've come to know, love and respect, you know, you 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 on a battlefield. You on a battlefield, you know. And the thing of it is, this is so important for us to stay in touch. You know, you know, the camp that Trisha is in, she needs to see the camp that I'm in. She needs to be able to look over her shoulder and see my campfire. See, that brother over there is in the fight. I need to look over and see Tia Little John's campfire. And I say, that sister over there is in the fight. I need to look at Brother Sanders and Jay Love and see y'all campfires. Because, you know, night can be a terrifying thing. 
a terrifying thing, okay? And we need to see that light. And see, so what encourages me is that, you know, we all come together, of course, you know, in terms of a war, but we got battles we fighting, you know, in our own venues, you know what I'm saying? And the thing of it is, the thing of it is, the ones that are persistent, the ones that have the desire not to give up are the ones that win. You know, my history tells me about a nation that was formed in 1776. Them people are supposed to get their butts kicked all over, all over North America. But those people made a decision of course, slaveholders and, and, and the like. But, but, but the point is, they made a decision that they was going to stay in that fight until the end result was reached. So I'm, I'm just encouraged by y'all. I, I, I really am because I see your campfires, you know, and it helped me keep my campfire going, you know. So uh, don't, don't, don't stop. Just, just, just look around. You, it, it's, not, it's not total darkness out there. There are campfires. And, and you know what? In my heart, them campfires getting bigger. They're getting bigger. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, last year, uh, a year ago, I was, you know, um, really focused on um, bringing Gerard home, and we were talking about, you know, the things about him, and and still in this year, you know, it's still more to fight about. You know, he's home, but there's still more, you know, health care, um, finding employment, uh, you know, getting his benefit, housing. You know, the lady spoke about that uh, last night, about how hard it is to find housing. So you're right. We have to stay in the fight because we're all connected. You know, what affects me affects you. What affects you absolutely affects me one way or the other. So that's why we come together every Friday at six o'clock because all of us bring a unique perspective um, to the table. And um, and that's just how our world is set up, you know. Um, Baraka. I, I haven't um, shared with you guys before, but my oldest brother died because you know, uh, he was but he was also on parole at the time. And so um, from uh, and, 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 and he, he literally died in their custody and the family still don't know all the particulars or the circumstances. He was accused of uh, um, uh, um, what was considered to have been uh, uh, um, uh, um, fraud with, with um, credit cards. And this these acts are supposed to be committed somewhere uh, on another part of the state where he didn't even live, and he was um, being taken, he was taken into custody, and he was being taken to trial, from what I understand, and he had took and been exonerated of some of the um, claims, but he still had ongoing matters, and he died in custody, and uh, that's the case, you know, uh, with with a lot of people, you know, um, a, a gentleman that I, I I grew up with, that I, I went to job court with, and got in trouble with, and everything. He died uh, in custody um, there at the Kemp Precinct. And uh, a, a lot of the um, other kids that I grew up with or that knew us, his family and all, they believed he was killed there in, in the Kemp Precinct. You know, um, and, and it's, it's not just about creating gossip and, 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 and um, insinuation in the window against the system, but they are real harm in putting people in pretrial detention. As I mentioned about our veterans, 
You know, and I would say to veteran groups that if um, if you haven't gotten on to this um, uh, um, abolishing the cash bail system, you should at least consider your federal your your fellow uh, uh, veteran brothers and sisters. We know that you do everything you can in your groups and your organizations to provide them services, but you know that that's not enough, and you know that sometimes they fall through the cracks. Where those cracks they fall through is in the county jail. This organization goes down there to the county jail and help liberate those people. So please find it within your heart, find it within your budgets to take and contribute to this cause, to this organization. Not only need your money, which is very important, this organization needs your money, but they also need your voice. They need you to stand up and speak up for those who have stood in defense of this nation. Don't sit on the sideline and think this is a war between those who are committing crime and those who are not. What crime did the man and the woman commit that took an answer to call to defend this nation? What crime did they commit? Okay, Muhammad Ali and others took and chose not to answer that call, but there are others who did answer that call and they are experiencing the repercussions of having done so. Is a very heavy toll. Is a very heavy toll. And now they are being called the name that Ali didn't want to be called uh, 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 here at home. You know, he said nobody abroad uh, over in Asia had called him a nigger. And excuse my expression of that N word. He said none of them had called him that. And none of them was uh, prohibiting his right to take a ride on the bus, whether he wanted to ride on the front of the bus or the back of the bus. None of them was taking and saying that he couldn't sit at a counter to eat at a restaurant or to take and go to a motel. And so he was saying, no, he wouldn't go abroad to fight for them. But some Americans have put aside those grievances and they went anyway in defense of their nation. And they didn't come back after having suffered from uh, on battle fatigue, you know, and from all of the, the uh, 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 you know, the, 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 the happenings of war. And then to take and be brought home, you know, the first thing that you're asked to do when you go into a county jail, you know, you're asked to take your clothes off and they do you the same way they did the slaves. They want you to bend over. They want to make sure that you don't have anything in your possession. Do you know where black women um, wear? Do, do you know one of the reasons they wear braids? Do you know one of the things that they used to keep in those braids? I, I, I just recently found this out. They used to take and put gold in those braids so if they were captured and put in slavery, they had some money to use to buy some resources. Or they would put rice in those braids so if they need it, they can eat. Okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the same frisking and shaking down of slaves or, or, or Africans when they were brought here to this country, the same behavior goes on in the county jail. <laughs> Could you imagine somebody asking you to, to bend over so they can <clears throat> they can look up all your privacy? You have no more privacy there. And here are men and women who have fought. They have an episode. They're taken into a county jail and they're asked to do all that kind of uh, inhumane things. To open your mouth, to lift your tongue, to bend over, spread your cheeks, <clears throat> and then to be barked at if you don't do it in the manner in which your jailer wants you to do it. The person is already experiencing the episode. Yeah. He's not, he or she is not being treated in a human way by a social worker. 
they're being treated in an inhumane way by someone who is their jailer and who feels that it is their duty to, to dehumanize them. Right. They don't see that this person once looked dignified in a uniform and once held our flags. They don't see that. Okay, when you go into the county jail, as Nick pointed out, everyone is treated in a very dehumanizing way. These men and women then come out of that county jail. They're already going through an episode. Get in the fight. Don't yeah. just stand on the sidelines. Donate some of your money to this bail system. Yeah. And I, before we get to Trisha, I just wanted to show this. Um, I didn't get a chance to show it earlier while Nick and them were on. But they were showing this is Wayne County. And as you see at the top, um, Wayne County charges related to suspended licenses, registrations, lack of vehicle insurance are the single biggest category of admissions to jail make it up of 14% of the bookings. So, I mean, <laughs> traffic offenses is why people are, are unnecessarily most of the time in jail and can't get out. And so... Um, they enforce the laws for corporate America. Yeah. <laughs> for corporate people that don't want to pay their taxes. Right. <laughs> and they enforce the laws for them. You know, the Donald Trump in the life that say that he's smart because he don't pay taxes. So, Trisha. I will say this. Please don't be a part of the problem. Yeah. Be a part of the solution. Yeah. Don't say, oh, I didn't know because your lack of ignorance is a part of the problem. Educate yourself. You know what's going on. You see, you might not know in depth detail, and that's okay. But continue to educate yourself. And when you educate yourself, educate everyone around you. The only way that we're going to kill this demon, Nick, Brother Nick said it, it's a demonic force. And the only way we're going to kill it is one person at a time. Each one, reach one. Don't be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. Right. We all, we all got to do fit it. Find a find a space where we can fit in, and you know, work it. You might can donate to the Black Mother bailout. That might be your. You might want to be a part of direct action, and you know, be in the caravan on Sunday. You know, there's different positions that we play. You can just share, share this, talk about it. So many stories are not being told. We have to take tell our stories. Telling your story takes your power back. Once you tell your story, nobody can take your narrative, you know, their narrative and tell your story because you are now the owner of your story. We are all in this fight together. And injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So um, thank you guys. We're at our time. <laughs> It, it was uh, so much. I didn't even get to play the videos, <laughs> but it's okay. I want you guys to also know that, you know, to share, not only share, um, uh, we are also on um, Anchor. Uh, mm -hmm. 
also we are also on um, Apple. Apple, yes, Spotify. And so join us um, on those um, platforms. Uh, oh, iHeartRadio. Yeah. Join us uh, on those platforms. And I'm having an issue now, but anywho, <laughs> thank you guys. Um, I'll see you guys next week. We're turning a moment into a movement. And we are out of here. All right. Be blessed. Amen. 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 Support your Michigan Liberation Bailout Program, um, or Bailout Black Mama Program.